0: Maybe you're at a loss for meaningful, life-giving words these days.
1: Not information or arguments or agendas, but wonder and hope that meet your empathetic and curious faith with a fresh word.
0: We are a guild of pastors always rooted in ancient text, but friendly to laughter, art, sarcasm, and a bit of sacrilege.
1: Wander with us while our perspectives, our attitudes, and our faith are altered for a new generation of being the church.
0: We are Altar Guild.
1: We are Altar Guild.
0: We are Altar Guild.
1: We are Alter Guild. When we think about Christmas, all the ways we've celebrated, all the people we've loved, all the places we've gathered, all the presents exchanged, we conjure joyful memories of light and gladness but also recalls seasons more complicated and eerie, long nights that seem to win. In this episode, Derek reflects on Christmas's past, and one in particular, with the help of his younger brother. Just a quick note before we get started, this episode includes content related to drug addiction, overdose, and recovery. Here's Derek.
0: In John's Gospel, the Christmas story is told differently than in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Instead of shepherds and angels and wise men gathering in Bethlehem, John uses theology and philosophy to weave a beautiful poem that describes the coming of God into our world. In the words of ancient Greek, this actually rhymes. It has a rhythm. And maybe you know it as this. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. As I look back and try to remember Christmases from my past, there's a lot of light. I vividly remember to this day opening a brand new Super Nintendo on Christmas Day in 1992, thinking that miracles really could happen. I remember Christmases spent on family ski vacations in Montana. I remember the year we flew into Hawaii on Christmas Eve, and we had our Christmas Eve dinner of beer and cheese curds at the dive bar. And I know someday I'll look back fondly to Christmas now, when my two young kids are in the height of the Christmas hype with our elf on the shelf, our homemade macaroni ornaments, and their unshakable belief in Santa Claus. But along with my memories of light-filled, life-giving holidays, there are dark ones too. There's the Christmas my grandfather was finally admitted into the nursing home after living for years with Alzheimer's. There's the Christmas several years ago where my wife and I struggled to have our first child, and everywhere we looked and on every single Christmas card that came to our house, there was a newborn baby. And the worst one of all was the Christmas just a few years back. On that Christmas, we traveled to my family's lake home in the Northwoods of Minnesota. We were excited to spend our first Christmas with our daughter and with our family, but my brother was in the midst of a heroin addiction. On that Christmas, he decided to quit cold turkey, and so our family celebration was cut short by my brother puking and violently shaking and eventually taking a trip to the ER to be hooked up to an IV. And as my family walked down this journey of addiction with my brother, we've learned that many families go down the same road. Today, my brother is celebrating two years of sobriety. We're expecting a great Christmas with him this year, and I'm grateful to him for taking the time to share a part of his journey with us. First of all, like, just thanks for for being here. You know, we're, we're sitting right now at your kitchen table, um your apartment, and right next to me are a bunch of your school books. You're starting college here just in a couple months, so so we're pretty fortunate that uh, these are the, the circumstances that we're in, but just, you know, I want to thank you for being willing to, like, talk about this. It, it's kind of weird because, you know, this is probably one of the first times we've actually really, like, dove in deep, and we have microphones in front of our face, so, like, it's kind of a weird experience, but but thanks for being willing
2: to, to do that. So, So, yeah, I mean, it started off, I was doing painkillers when I was 16, 17, 18, all those years. And how old are you now? I'm 23 now. You know, I was just experimenting with drugs. Uh, Didn't really think much. You know, as a 16-year-old, you kind of think you know everything in the world. Um, I started off doing that. I ended up dropping out of school on my junior year. I went to my very first treatment in Hazelden. I didn't really accept any of the stuff that was brought to me through the treatment and I immediately got out and I was clean for about two months and I ended up relapsing around my 18th birthday and then I kind of just went off on my own, kind of abandoned everybody and lived by myself basically in a city uh, with friends and that was about it. So was,
0: was there ever a moment when the the train has, has left the station and it's rolling and rolling and rolling? I mean, is there a point where you realize that it's something that's gotten out of control or, or?
2: I really did not think that it had became a problem yet until I was probably 20. In my 20s when I really started getting into like the heavier opiates like heroin, um, and that's when my life really spiraled out of control, uh, getting sick to like the point where I couldn't get out of bed, um, just not being able to do anything, not being able to connect with any kind of people, um, just kind of feeling like there was no hope, like I didn't have a chance, and this is the way that things were always gonna be. That's basically when I knew that everything had spiraled out of control and I could no longer live like I used to live and do the things that I wanted to do.
0: When, when you are in the depths of, of an addiction like that, talk a little bit about what that does to, to the
2: relationships, I mean, the people in your life. and. and uh... um, well, I basically cut off connection with everybody in my life uh, it really screws up a family, I know that, um, emotionally, and mentally, and even physically too. I know it takes its toll on everybody involved. Um, and it's a, I know it's a long, hard process, I could not see that from the outside. I didn't realize exactly how much damage it was doing at the time. I knew that my parents wouldn't sleep at night and stuff, they would just worry about me. Um, and I just wouldn't give them the time of day or anybody in the family, really, or anybody. Yeah, to... you didn't call me much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I know it just takes a big toll on family relationships, and it's, uh, it's not good, and I feel... Feel bad for families out there that are still experiencing it because I know how fortunate I am that I'm here right now and that that stuff's not going on anymore and things are good.
0: You know, there were a couple times where you had gone to treatment and, you know, mom and dad and me and 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 our sister, we were all thinking, okay, this is it, this time it worked, and then it wouldn't, and then that cycle kind of repeated itself, you know, a, a couple times to the point where finally it was like, okay, let me see if this works again. And it probably won't. But, but sure enough, walk me through a little bit once the, the Hazelden treatment, you know, started working and you got on the Suboxone and, and you're starting to feel the, you know, the effects of that and the progress is happening. Where were you at emotionally? I mean, what, what's that like coming out of that?
2: Oh, man, it was a tornado, like, if I had to explain it, because it's all these things that you pushed off for so long, just not realizing how much you've hurt people, and like, the terrible things that you did during addiction that you just don't want to work through, because some of them are just so bad that you wish you could just forget, but you know, the only way that you're going to get through it is actually working through it, and that's really hard, and that alone, I I don't think I could have done without... That other side that they offered. So, so, so how do you work through it? Uh, lots of groups, uh, talking with people. I was very fortunate when I was at Hazelden because it was a small group of four of us when I first got there and eventually it was like 12 but I mean it was a really close group of guys that were all really serious and so we had a really good support system and it felt like you know the people there really cared so even when the counselors were gone and you were there at night it still felt like you were making progress and so that was a that was a good feeling and it made it a lot easier to go through now i know
0: um you know we we keep coming back to this today but but you you know you're an incredibly fortunate guy i mean we we all are um our whole family but you know you especially because you know you went through this, this terrible ordeal, but again, here we are sitting here, and you know, you're know you in recovery, and you're making progress and working the steps, but uh, I also know that that some of your friends uh, were not as fortunate. Do you wanna talk about that a little bit?
2: I had three friends in the last three years that have all passed away. Um, one of them was a really good friend that I had known since fifth grade, um, another one yeah and you guys actually were in uh, my
0: camp counselor yeah together when you guys were just just little kids and he, I remember playing
2: you know League of Legends and StarCraft with you guys when you yep. were just little ones And then, yeah it's, that's tough it is he was a he was a great guy and you know it, it happens and I know he was working really hard how did he die uh, he died okay. of a fentanyl overdose and his, his parents found him, which is really sad, and I, I was just devastated because, you know, you know somebody for that long, and it's just so sad to know that they didn't get to spend the rest of their time, and I wasn't very close to them at the end. I mean, that's, you know, that's what the addiction did, is it even separated us, even though we were both doing it. I mean, our relationship really broke down, so. I was glad, though, um, we got to talk, even like a week before he died. And I was really happy about that. You
0: know, I'll never forget that Christmas. uh, It's probably no offense, but it's probably the worst Christmas I've (laughs) ever, ever had because we had this uh, huge family Christmas planned. And, um, you know, my daughter, uh, your niece was just born, and so we were all excited to get everybody together. And I think, were you going into treatment, and so you
2: had gone cold turkey for that Christmas break? Was that? Yeah, that was it. Was pretty bad. I was like on day three or four, and that's. So did you just you just basically quit right before family Christmas? Yeah, I think I used like a few days before that, and when that was all going on, it was like three four days, and that's one of like the peak moments where it's just at its worst. Yeah,
0: and I just I remember feeling so bad for you because you were going through heroin withdrawal and here we are at this little like idyllic cabin in the woods and you guys ended up going into like the local regional emergency room and you know I just I can't imagine what that visit with dad must have been like so has your view of grace changed at all I mean you talk about how you're haunted by things in your past and things you've seen things you've done you know people you've lost how has that changed the way that you see forgiveness played out or, or
2: grace played out? It makes me very fortunate to be where I am. Um, I feel like I can forgive people for anything that's happened to me because I realize from an outside perspective of just an average person out in the world, looking at my case, they might have just said, you know, he should go to prison or he doesn't deserve the chance that he got but now that I've had this chance and things have gone so well you know I feel like I need to I need to impact that somehow so there's
0: countless families out there that are are going through what we did um a few years back if you could say something to those families or if you could Talk to them about your situation and what you've learned. What would you tell them?
2: I would tell the families, you know, don't give up. It might seem really hard, and I know it's really hard, and it might be incredibly painful, but you just got to keep supporting them. Um, Even with you supporting them, they might feel just lonely and miserable, and they might not understand what's going on but eventually something might click and the first treatment might not work, the second, third, fourth, fifth one might not even work too. But yes, the persistence is key and hopefully they have some sort of spark in them that makes them wanna keep trying to get sober and get clean because all it takes is one time to do it right and I didn't think that it was gonna work when I went and things really changed.
0: Yeah and it's it's one of those things too. I mean, it's given me a new appreciation for how grace works, how forgiveness works because your family, mom and dad especially they didn't they didn't give up. I mean, they were bulldogs. They they fought for you. Um I mean, after that third time, it's just like, okay, like but they didn't give up and it just it really struck me how that's that's a gift. I mean, it's it's that idea of, of of giving somebody something, even if they don't acknowledge it or know what it's all about. But then again, here we are and looking back and reflecting on it. You know, obviously, that was a big difference maker for you. So as I sit here and think about your story, which is also, you know, to some extent my story, too, because we're brothers. Um I'm just struck by how the hope played out. Where, you know, there were times when we didn't know where you were. Um, Quite frankly, didn't even know if you were alive. I mean, there was a a period there where every time mom or dad called me or texted me, uh, there was this nagging fear where it was like, oh, great, here we go. Like, this is it. Um, and it got to the point where I just didn't even want to look at my phone because uh, I was so worried that that was, was going to happen. Um, and yet, here we sit today. So, you know, I'm just, I'm struck by all the families out there right now that are preparing for the holidays, getting ready for Christmas uh, or whatever, and there's going to be that family member that's, that's not there because they're going through addiction, you know. They're, they're in the, the throes of it, and that message of hope to them, um, I think needs to be spoken. Well, thanks again for your willingness to be open and honest. I'm sure it's not easy uh, talking about the skeletons that are in your closet and, you know, the, the struggles. But I just, uh, I know that telling your story, it's an important part of your healing, but hopefully it can be healing for Uh, other people that are that are going through it at this time of the year so thanks so much for being here today and, and thanks for sharing your story
2: yeah thank you very much i appreciate doing this i always wanted to do something like this and this is my first time and i really hope that it can impact someone and i hope it can bring some hope
0: great thanks so much love you brother
2: love you too man
1: Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick-Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson-Roberts, and Derek Tronsgaard, with edits by Matt and Derek. Today's episode was written by Derek Tronsgaard with music by Dotted Lines, Be Still the Earth, Evolve, Triads, Matt Wigton, and Aaron Sprinkle. You can visit our website at alterguild.org, that's A-L-T-E-R, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Alter Guild. To listen to more episodes or to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else fine podcasts are sold. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in tomorrow for our next episode. And in the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter.